This is the Brewer to Brewer podcast from All About Beer, a conversation that goes beyond the brew house and into topics that matter to brewing professionals and curious beer drinkers. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media and to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. I'm Kyle Harrop of Horace Age Dale, and this week I'm glad to be talking with my friend and pally, Evan Price of Green Cheek Beer <laughs> Company. We'll get into it in just a moment, but first, this message. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. They've been working with brewers on a wide range of ingredients and delicious beers. First Tea combines the flexibility of order sizes with the experience you need to create innovative and successful tea beers. They get you the most direct from farm tea selection, so you are working with flavorful and consistent products. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsttea.com. Um, here we go. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I've been drinking your beers since I was in grad school, going back to Taps and, and Noble, like, friends were able to talk me into going to angel games even though i'm a diehard dodgers fan and could care less about that anaheim team um just to go to <laughs> noble and drink all the uh the showers ipas and everything west coast that you did and um fast forward i don't even know maybe five or six later six years later i ran into you at um i think it was the first festival of dankness that modern times put on and yeah, that was yeah. like right before I was really starting to get Horace off the ground even, um, which was crazy. Yeah, I mean, we were both just kind of doing completely different things than what we're doing now. So fast forward another half decade and Green Cheek is moving right along and you got three locations now and um, something I really look forward to visiting my sister, your orange locations right down the street. Yeah. And, uh, heck yeah, Costa Mesa's, you know, right off the 405 when I'm driving back and forth to my parents like I am today. So um, I guess my first question was, tell me about the new location. I, and I don't know much about it. And talking with a few of my friends, they had just heard about it. So when did it come about? Where is it, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah. So we opened up the spot in Sunset Beach, uh, which is this crazy small sector of Huntington Beach. Uh, you're getting close to Steel Beach with um, that location um, bordering it. And then, um, yeah, we took over this like old drive-through diner type place. Um, yeah, so it's a um, place we called Harry's. We've got a downstairs and an upstairs bar um, now and uh it's got a drive-through it's the only spot in sunset beach uh proper that actually has a an ocean view and awesome. um yeah it's like um it's the fanciest i mean it's the fanciest place that we've opened um but like still not fancy by you know <laughs> any uh way of the words but um yeah, we're really proud of it. I mean, it's just a, it's got a kitchen. We're doing, you know, our smash burgers and a range of other kind of food items. Um, 
got some talented people in there right now making these incredible tacos for Taco Tuesday with these like slow braised birria tacos and these um this like really neat fish taco made with this um Vietnamese um catfish and called basa and you know it's just like it's a it's a pretty special location I like I bought a couple arcade games to put upstairs for free to play. So we got like Tetris in there and Centipede, which man, someone came in recently and beat my highest score. So I still got, I guess I still got some work to do on, uh, on beating that high score, but it, um, yeah, it's a cool spot. I mean, um, I think it's, um, every, it's the first time that we've kind of built ish something like, place hadn't been renovated in 50 no shoot not 50 years uh 25 years something like that and okay. so i mean you know we had a lot of electrical work to do and some plumbing work to do and you know kind of uh fixing up some bars and um yeah like putting in a draft putting in a draft system for the first time and a range of these things we've never actually done because we our other two locations um were both breweries that we took over uh, one was yep. Barley Forge in Costa Mesa, and the other one was Valiant in Orange. And both of those people did a great job setting the place up, and we didn't have to do much other than, you know, put some paint on the walls and decorate it. And so um, this was our longest turnaround time. I think, like, for Orange, when we opened that in 2017, um, I think that took us two or three, maybe three months to open that spot. And then the Costa Mesa spot took, um, I think, three weeks to open. Um, and then this place, on the other hand, took like 11 or 10 or 11 months um, wow. from when we got the keys. And so, yeah, uh, it was, it, but it's a, yeah, it's a cool spot. You definitely got to check it out. Most definitely. When I disc golf at Central Park in Huntington again, it sounds like it's pretty close. I usually go to Rip which is like oh yeah dude yeah rip's doing a great job man as uh ian is insanely talented legit yeah. viewers for sure okay yeah. um okay so backtracking a little bit um how how did you get into brewing in the first place um was taps the first brewing job and did you homebrew much before you jumped into it on a professional level yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I had this like, you know, revolutionary sort of moment in my own head of uh, I went to Europe and um, got a beer experience in Belgium and uh, England and Ireland and Bel. I say Belgium, Germany, Belgium. Never mind, you got it all. And so I. Uh, ended up getting back from this trip and my buddy that I went with was um, telling me about homebrewing. He hadn't done it before either, but he's like drove by a homebrew shop and uh, it was this spot in Long Beach. Um, I can't remember the name of now, but yeah, I went in there and I bought myself a homebrew kit of uh, an English bitter and I started, started homebrewing. Um, that beer was trash. And I dumped it, and then I made uh, I made a like a German Hefeweizen. Um, that beer was trash, and I dumped it. 
And um, I think it was, I feel like my first successful beer as a home brewer was like a porter. And, you know, and it says a lot because I wasn't doing any water chemistry at that point or anything like that. And so, um, you know, it, it works really well with uh, the water profile that we have here. And so um, anyway, I think that was like, finally, like this moment of like, all right, this is, maybe something I want to do, but I, uh, I started working at BJ's. Um, I have this, I have this butterfly effect moment, um, that I always forget to talk about. That's my favorite part of this story. And I was working at house of blues at the time in Anaheim here. And I had this customer that had a bad day and he was really upset that there was no onion on his burger. And so he, I'm, I'm telling, I'm like, okay, would you like me to go get you some more onion? And he's like, no, I shouldn't have to tell you whether or not I need more onion on my burger. I'm paying $10 for this burger. So then uh, this guy just starts ranting and raving and he's raising his voice and everything else. And I just start laughing at a certain point uh, because he's being so ridiculous. And he ends up looking at me and it's just like, what's, what's so funny? Like, what are you, what are you laughing about? And I'm like, you're just kind of being a dick. Yeah. I got fired. And um, and it was at that moment that I was like, all right, I want to go work at a beer place. So then I got a job at uh, BJ's as a server. I worked my way into this like line cleaning gig where I was, you know, a finished beer specialist. And then um, from there, I secured an interview for the brewery, got got hired into the brewery and then um i just started started at the bottom this was 2006 and um so i started homebrewing in 2005 and then in 2006 i got that first job and um yeah 21 22 right around there and um yeah you know i just washing kegs cleaning floors all that kind of thing and then I worked yeah. there for two years uh, over the course of like three different locations um, under a fair amount of different brew, uh, like head brewers and everything. So I really felt like that was a great opportunity. And then yeah. um, from there, I went to Hangar 24 in Redlands. Um, wow. I was. I did not <laughs> know that. Wait a second. What year was that? That uh, would have been like 2008? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's see. Wow. 2000. Yeah, 2008 Hangar 24. Um, I was the first, uh, the first hired brewer there, um, and first uh, first employee, and it was That's a really so great weird. opportunity. So, yeah. not to interrupt you, but I don't know if you know, I went to grad school at Redlands and graduated in ah! '07. And oh, that is priceless. Trying to remember his name was it Ben Cook? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy that. Yeah, so he helped me for my master's thesis. I did a business plan for a brewery, and he helped me because he came from Big Beer before. Um, yep. Yeah, that's crazy. Holy moly! All right, because my intro to you would have been Taps, and that would have been your third brewing gig, then, right? Yeah, yeah, After yeah. After Hanger. Okay. Yeah. Crazy. Okay, so <laughs> you've been you've worked at five breweries, counting your own, though. Yes. Yeah. 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 You know, it's, um, 
been a wild ride of like, you know, just working from the bottom up, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, you know, it's fun. It's so, just so funny. Like in 2006, um, six months into working at BJ's, if I had the opportunity to open up a brewery, I would have done it. And you know what? I would have fallen straight on my face and <laughs> created a really bad reputation for myself. And instead through like this learning experience of working at all these breweries, uh, I was able to make mistakes under, um, you know, other people's money and, uh, yeah. and, and everything else. And so, um, I'm really thankful for no one giving me an opportunity and not having the money to open a brewery, uh, that early on. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I look back on it too. When I did that, that business plan, I was planning on opening in like Temecula area and it would have been the first brewery there at the time. And it could have been wildly successful or it could have been a dumpster fire. So it's all uh, hindsight. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's crazy. I, I just learned a lot about you, man. That's wild. Yeah, that was a the Redlands, um... Redlands thing is going to trip me out for a long time. That was that's too <laughs> close. I, I would have ended up leaving. I moved. It would have been late 2007. I moved back to L.A. from there. So too I just cool. missed you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Too cool. That's funny. All right. So I think for me, you know, when people travel to Southern California, I'm often asked where they should go. And, you know, most of these people know they can't really get my beer anywhere because I don't have a tap room, et cetera, et cetera. So Green Cheek and Monkish and there's this, you know, Highland Park, depending on where people are going. It's where I always send people. And the thing I've always loved about Green Cheek, it's one of the few places, not only the beer is fantastic, but there's a very large variety of beer. And it's always that way. Like, I remember when I went to brew with you, I guess it would have been over two and a half years ago because <laughs> the stout just released that was in barrels for two and a half years. But at the time, you had like a Fooder Age Black Lager collab that you did with Resonant Culture. Hey, there it is. Um, <laughs> and like straightforward pale ale. And then you had hazy IPAs. And those were really like hitting their traction at that point. And it was just cool to see a wide spectrum of beer that first time. And every single time I go back, it, it hasn't changed. And that's something I've always appreciated. And I think people do too, because you know, I, I can't even tell you how many times, and if I misspeak on the, the exact one, but I'm pretty sure it's a lavender seltzer. I always hear back like, hey, my wife or my girlfriend, that was like her favorite beverage of our whole trip in California for the week. And it's just awesome that you make these world-class hoppy beers and then have stuff like that, that, I mean, I've had a lot of conversations with you and like the cellar maker guys and the industry we've all had to evolve and pivot a little bit and probably make beers that we're not necessarily in love with but keeping consumers happy is is huge yeah in you know staying successful and like especially now i mean things things have just gotten crazy these past six months to a year i feel like and yeah i think for you that that's always been um really eye-opening for me and so that was a long blur but 
where I want to get into now is, are you seeing more people drinking West Coast IPA or hazy IPA at this point in time <laughs> um, of your own? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's two different crowds uh, that we, you know, that we cater to, um, you know, our, I think our job as brewers is to, you know, make the thing that people want and do our best job at it. You know, uh, if you're a chef and truffles are the big thing, you know, I'm going to shave some truffles on some pasta and uh, yep. call it a day. Like, I think that um, you see certain people's ego get in the way a little bit too hard with um, just forgetting this, like, really simple thing that like, you know, you by yourself can't drink 500 gallons of beer. Like, you, <laughs> you know, uh, I have these like, you know, every once in a while a brewer will come up with a, you know, a, a beer style that I don't think will sell well, or, you know, we've tried before and it doesn't sell well. And I'm, you know, uh, I tell them like, Hey man, I'd rather just go over to Windsor's homebrew shop and get you a, uh, a bottle of, this beer style and hand it to you. You can drink it and then we'll we'll move on with this idea because like I, you know, you're the only person that's probably gonna drink this beer. Um, but as far as uh West Coast versus Hazy, you know, I we see uh so two very different um customers for um these beers. Um uh the draft sales for West Coast IPA um definitely are better. Um, wow. then they, then they are for hazy. Um, and we've kind of, you know, historically the hazy can sales were the most aggressive for us, uh, from day one. And, you know, we've kind of continued to see this resurgence of West coast IPA where, um, we release a West coast IPA almost, almost every week um with that then hazy ipa on the other hand is about um every other week um but you know I, that sort of range goes much harder where you know we go from single hazy ipa double hazy ipa triple and then recently we just released a quadruple and so it's like um we see a really big, you know, hit on those, uh, on those first couple days of those, uh, those hazy can releases. And then, um, it trails off for a moment. Um, and on the other hand, the West coast IPA clientele is just, I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting thing. Uh, this regular, just constant rotation of pickup where you just see this like even keel pickup of just like, people wanting to get their West coast IPA for the week, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, uh, they, they both still do really well for us. And we put, okay. uh, we put a lot of thought and energy into both. I mean, we just went through some really big changes on our hazy beer program. And I, I think we're getting the best results we've ever gotten out of those beers and they're tasting better than they've ever tasted. Yeah, I uh, I had tempered bliss and just one thing citra last night actually. So oh, ironically, when I have 
cans from you, I feel like my club members, whenever I have bottle pickups, only bring me hazy IPA, even though they know West Coast IPA is my favorite style of beer to drink. <laughs> so I it's find like, it they're fascinating. Just, they're, they're just <laughs> fucking with you, man. Yeah, it's so, it's so exactly. good. But I do, yeah. I do enjoy. I think you've absolutely nailed it on on both the hazy and the West Coast. So. It's interesting. I wouldn't have predicted that the West Coast draft sales were higher, um, but that's awesome to hear. Well, one I thing think- to, to tell you that I think is crazier is um, one of our, you, you mentioned the lavender lemonade. Um, so the, we make a hard seltzer uh, lavender lemonade. We put a lot of work into it. I mean, we did a, a year of trying to make seltzer and dumping batches. Uh, until we finally could create this very neutral base, you know, it's like, you know, the goal is the goal is to make a base that's like vodka and water instead of yep. a, you know, um, instead of fart water. And so it's like, yeah. you know, <laughs> some of these like some of these sulfur or some of these like um, seltzers are just so aggressive on the like rotten egg hydrogen sulfide like you know sulfur levels, yep. and it's like. Um, I mean, you know, it's a nutrient deficient um, fermentation. So I like, I, I get it. But um, anyway, um, yeah, like we get the lavender from France and we grind all the lavender ourselves and make this ginormous tea. And um, that's where we're, we're we brewed. Yeah. We, so we're at this point now where we make 60 barrels of lavender lemonade every four weeks and we sell all of that ourselves. Wow, and, that's incredible. Uh, it's incredible. Like, I mean, for yeah. something that has a wonderful shelf life, um, you know, we've tested like oxidation for um, like it, it, sensory wise for lavender lemonade and um, seltzers in general. And just the shelf life of these things is incredible because, you know, you don't have the um, oxidation properties that you do for like you wouldn't you know malted barley as you know and so it's um it's just it's it's in this endless world of things to where we're just continuing to experiment with so many different seltzer things right now um we have this we have this like um seltzer that we're finishing here soon that we made with bottle logic and it's been uh, so it's a 100 raw cane sugar fermentation um and then we we barrel aged it for a year and a half in barbados rum barrels and then uh and it came out it came out at the barrel out of the barrel at 19.2 percent oh and then, wow uh and then we're blending that with um you know a bunch of grapefruit and um cinnamon and um what else is in a jet pilot uh shoot um you know there's like a dab of vanilla and there's some um other spices but um and lime it's just like this really fun 14 percent abv like tiki drink thing that we're making um because i don't know the jet pilot is one of my personal favorite tiki drinks yeah i haven't had many of those i'm a tiki freak um and i i pretty much gravitate towards anything with green chartreuse oh man oh do the chartreuse swizzle like, how do you, yeah. I think it's one of the most perfect uh, tiki drinks out there for sure. A little Indeed. shaved nutmeg on top. 
Absolutely. Yeah, we're very lucky. You know, Strongwater and False Idol are probably two of my favorite tiki bars in the world, and they're in our respective counties. So yeah, very lucky. Yeah, that Strongwater is right by my house, man. Oh, yeah, they're doing a great job over there. Yeah, they're rad. We're going to take a short break for this message and then come right back for more of this conversation with Evan Price of Green Cheek Beer Company. Woo! First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. They've been working with brewers on a wide range of ingredients and delicious beers. First Tea combines the flexibility of order sizes with the experience you need to create innovative and successful tea beers. They get you the most direct from farm tea selection, so you are working with flavorful and consistent products. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsdtea.com. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, Evan. Um, Thank you. Thank you. I think we're bouncing around a lot, but I did want to go kind of back to the IPA front and talk hop selection and how heavily involved you are and you know, I've been wanting to go to New Zealand for years now. I'm tentatively planning to finally go in 2024. Um, have you been up to Yakima? Have you been out there? What, what have your experiences been if you've had, and do you recommend either or, or both? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm with you as well. I haven't been to New Zealand yet. I'm planning on going um, here in 2023 for um that experience i had a uh, a flight booked in 2020 um i literally no no bullshit i booked this flight um and no more than 24 hours later (laughs) it got canceled and um Um, it was so early in the pandemic that you know their reimbursements weren't weren't the same as they like learned that they had to do but anyway um so i haven't done uh, new zealand yet i'm really excited to jump into that i mean we are avid uh freestyle farms um supporters and um you know we get all of our new zealand hops from them uh for the most part we've done a couple like small um you know lots here and there through um crosby and some other people but um our relationship with freestyle farms is fantastic with uh i mean they're nelson and their motueka um are phenomenal um we yeah so i've been to i've been at the yakima a number of times um i've done the hop selection thing um in yakima i i really you know i i love getting up there and i think that i think the biggest thing you know for all the brewers out there that um are trying to get in this camp is like those relationships that you can establish with um these hop farmers i think are the um the thing you're potentially after the most you know um sending them some beer um having conversation with them and you know um they want to talk to you as much as you want to talk to them because they want to know what you're excited about um you know is the citrus still the thing that you and your customer base are after and all these other um little aspects from there you know you want the late pick, you want the early pick and you can yeah. kind of continue to go on from there. Um, I, I'm on the fence with um, in like 
in Yakima hop selection with um, whole flower hops where um, I'm, you know, so the, 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 you know, the way that you're presented, you know, one of these uh, say brewers cuts or sample cuts is like, um, you know, you get a small block of, uh, of holy hops and um, you know, you take your hands and you rub them and you smell them and um, you go onto the next lot without washing your hands and he, you rub that lot. And so now you have two lots of hops on your hands. And well, what do you know? That one probably smells better because it's a <laughs> little more complex. There's a little bit more to it. And so you do this and so on and so forth. And I'm not the biggest fan of like what that is. Um, instead, I, I'm a pellet uh, selector, um, which kind of goes against the norm, I think, for a lot of people where, you know, I, I, I love getting the, 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 the final product that I'm going to use, you know, um, we use, uh, we use T90 pellets for the most part. Um, we also use cryo, but I want to smell those things as, as, as the final product, because um, I feel like I've been hosed on selection in the past. I mean, one is, um, you know, just being a, like a noob with the whole thing on the, on those first couple experiences of just not really quite sure you know like how this translation is going to take place because it's like hard it's such a it's such a hard process for uh and hard situation for everybody involved for the you know for the for the rep for the brewer um for the hop farmer like the goal is to try to pretend to think or pretend to figure out like how this little this hot, this, these hops that you're smelling in your hand are going to translate into the final product of the beer. And just like with so many rubs that I've had in the past with different hop varietals, it's not until you finally get it into the beer, you can really see what it's, what it's able to do. And, um, and so, yeah, I end up um, just being in this camp of, can you just send me pellets of different lots? And then I can pick from there and that, um, that ends up being uh, my my favorite way to select, and then the second favorite is just talking to friends and you know, um, you know, early on at Green Cheek uh, when we didn't have um, the time or the you know uh, or the I don't know the ability to select. Um, mm -hmm. I would do selection through selection, which was uh, I would talk to say three or four friends and be like, Hey, can I buy a box of citra from you? And then I would get all of these citrus in, and then I would smell all of them. And then I would decide, and then I would like call up whoever the winner was in my head and be like, Hey, can I, <laughs> can I buy, uh, you know, can I buy more of this? And then, you know, that was the way to like get it going because, um, you know, you talk to people like Tim and Connor from Cellar Maker, and they're they're quite possibly my favorite people to talk hops with um, because Absolutely. they geek out at a level that is um, so entertaining where it's just like Connor and Tim will start talking back and forth and they'll be like oh man yeah 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 that's pretty good that's pretty good but but what about lot five five four four six six from twenty nineteen. Um, Coleman Farms, Mosaic, like they'll go through this whole thing and then they'll be like, you know, just 
uh, I don't know. It's just memorizing the, the exact lot number is uh, is at a level that I, uh, I haven't quite gotten to. But um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, more I can I can usually just name the farm of you know where we got uh, the hops. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned cellar maker because um, I was making IPAs for a while and I'm finally going to get back into doing it again soon. And instead of getting contracts um you know they're good friends of mine and i basically bought all the hops i needed from them perfect and, you know that might not seem like that big of a deal to people on the outside but in my opinion they have some of the best hops um, oh yeah because they just go down into the nittiest grittiest detail and i remember probably six seven years ago smelling some with tim and he's like throwing out like mixed berry skittles and cantaloupe <laughs> yes. rind and like some stuff and i'm just like man i either need to have a few beers to like open up my mind or this guy's on another level and hanging out with him you know since then he he's just on another level and yeah, yeah i know yeah. like one of my coolest collab experiences was going up there to brew a west coast ipa with them and just going in the cold box and literally opening up bags of t90 pellets and smelling them and yes choosing what went into the beer at that moment in time like there was no plan until right then and there and that was awesome yeah and that's i think my i can't remember yeah it's really cool and i think you were either there the week before me or the week after but we both ended up doing ipas with them that i think mine had seven hops and yours might have had eight or six i forget but it's just <laughs> funny like that's how cool of like a hop catalog they have. It's like, you can't decide and stuff's just awesome. So you end up throwing the kitchen sink in it. Yeah, it did. it's such a good time. I love that, like um, that ability when, you know, we were at that level um, as, as far as size, cellar makers at that level, as far as size, uh, when you're collaborating with a brewery where you have the like, uh, ability to just like off the cuff be like all right cool let's smell some hops and figure out what we're throwing in this thing you know yep. uh the, there's other collaborations you do where man they want that info months ahead of time you're halfway across uh you know the world and it's like well i mean i don't know what your simcoe smells like i don't know what you know other thing smells like and you know i think it's like that ends up being one, like just so much more difficult absolutely and i think like it's it's that plays off what i get asked a lot and like when i go i brew big stouts a lot on collabs and it's like for most breweries they're ordering that grain well in advance because that's not the kind of grain they have just lying around the brewery <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> so, so like having you know pilsner malt maris otter and these things like the experience we just described at Cellar Maker doesn't happen that often. And it's, it's really only happened to me one other time, I think was at Forest in Maine and Pennsylvania. And it's just a much different, like authentic experience that way. And I don't think I'll ever get to the point where that's doable on like a stout, maybe like if they have pretty much a BFG warehouse <laughs> down the yeah, street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah it's, it's a lot of planning and a, a lot of just like, orders prior to getting there so i think yeah our experiences at seller maker are pretty unique and that's really cool we're both lucky to have had them 
Yes, I love it. Um, all right. So another thing that's always fascinated me about you is you're always happy. I've never seen you bummed out. Your kids could be <laughs> giving you a hard time. You're still stoked. Um, and, you know, that really shines through a lot of people. I've had multiple people come up to me and be like, hey, I met Evan at JBF. And that's, you know, I've never been there. But the way I picture it is just thousands of people and probably super overwhelming. But if it's you're crazy. making an impression on somebody at something like that, then yeah, you're just a good, happy dude. And I think that goes a long ways. Um, and I think from a JBF standpoint, um, you've gone, you've judged it multiple times, right? Yeah. I, uh, five, five years. I don't, uh, I think I'm four, I think I'm five years in this. Um, yeah, this was the first year that I was, uh, like a, uh, a table captain, uh, which was an absolute honor. Um, but yeah, um, I've been doing that for a little bit now, which has been, uh, yeah, uh, just an absolute honor. That's awesome. So when you've done it, are you doing the same style each year or is it completely random and, and mixed bag or how does it all work? Yeah. Um, so you, you get a list of all of the beer styles that are at the competition. Um, and then you rate things on how well you either know or like each beer style. And, um, you cut out any of the ones that you, that you're entering yourself. Um, if you miss it, it's, uh, they know what you enter too. So they, you know, uh, they definitely will correct your, your card, but the um, yeah. So then I end up in the spot for the most part uh, where I end up just going for all the lighter uh, AB or lower ABV <laughs> beers uh, because one, I'm a, uh, I'm a lightweight Kyle um, to, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, there was a, this last year at world beer cup, I, um, was thrown into it last, uh, like last minute. Um, and I ended up not having, filling out one of those judge, those judge sheets. So all I was judging was like bourbon barrel age stouts and, oh, no. um, <laughs> and, oh my God, I, I remember looking at, uh, I was judging with Ben from Breakside a lot. And I just like the, when we were over one day, I was just like, dude, I just, I, I, I need food. I need, like, I, like, I need to, I need to hydrate. Like this was, this was an intense session. Like, and, um, it's, uh, but, um, normally, uh, yeah, normally you're not getting intoxicated, but, um, it's, um, cause you're drinking and trying such a, such a small amount over this stretched out period. Um, but it's such a neat experience to kind of see things behind the curtain. Um, you, you're, 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 you're giving a, you're given a flight of beers with each one of these categories. You're typically judging with anywhere from two to five other people. And, um, you're then, um, you know, you're given anywhere from six to 10 beers, sometimes 12 in one, um, flight. Um, the first 45 or so minutes of that flight is you personally going through and judging each one of these, um, these beers completely on your own. 
So for all the brewers out there that end up seeing like, hey, judge number one said this, and but then judge number two said this, um, it's all because of this this part of the the competition that um, that they all that, that you know GBF or the Brewers Association also values, which is you know we all do taste differently, and and that's yeah. okay. And so the so then when it when it ends up happening though is after these judge sheets are filled out, then the conversation starts, and um, and so you have this like like near pin drop quiet room for 45 or so minutes uh, with all these other judges. And then all of a sudden, you know, conversation opens up and you start talking about it. And it's just like, all right, you know, what do you think about 424? And it's like, well, you know, um, wasn't my favorite beer on the table for these reasons. Or, you know what, I really like that beer. It's in my top three. Or, you know, you kind of like just start these conversations and, you know, it's, it is so, it is just so interesting the amount of times that I've, um, yeah, that I've got done this and gone through this. And, um, I, I feel like I learn so much, uh, every time on, um, how to articulate, um, what I'm tasting and how I'm tasting and becoming more and more comfortable, uh, in a short period of time on just like, okay, that is you know, this off flavor that is, uh, this palette and, you know, and you end up just kind of like being able to dial that in, but it is absolutely something that you can, I mean, in my opinion, you can only do through experience, just yeah, continue to do awesome. it. Yeah. I've always wondered if it's like hard to like, if you get fatigue, you know, you're at elevation. So I'm like, wow, how many beers do these guys have to taste? even like tasting barrels like i feel it even if i spit it out you know like um yeah so i've always that's cool i've always been curious about it um, yeah i don't i'm i mean i'm in the i'm in the um the camp that outside of outside of say you know severe intoxication or whatever you know f palate fatigue um doesn't exist uh i think that you know it's all there um you know uh in regards to our receptors and everything and so it's like yeah. um they're they're there to experience uh what's around it i you know you taste something uh the order in which you taste i think ends up being maybe the most important sometimes um yeah anyway yeah no i totally i think like lager and pale ale like sign me up but what you were saying with the stouts, like it, you have that many barrel aid samples in a string and they, they start getting pretty convoluted pretty quick or you just get overwhelmed. I don't know. <laughs> One of the two. Yeah, seriously. Um, what do you think, like the future of GABF, do you think um, that new styles are going to pop in or are we going to see things like munich wine that brad clark's making or like a pastry stout category or do you think it's going to stay kind of old school quote unquote you know i think that they're always you know um gonna be a, a couple years behind um just because of 
how you know it's a big it's a big ship uh yeah. steering that big ship takes a lot of movement or you know a lot of work right um and so you know just like a large production brewery where they've got their production calendar uh filled out for 2023 uh or more already um and i don't know what i'm brewing next week um you know i think that um G, uh, you know the brew association ends up being in a similar spot i mean you know yeah. um i I couldn't believe the day that, um, you know, a golden stout uh, or a golden coffee beer was on um, the, you know, on for the guidelines. Um, you know, yeah. I, when I was at, when I was at Noble, um, um, we made a beer called Naughty Sauce and that was like, you know, the first um, uh, of that kind that, uh, that I knew of then. And, um, yeah. you know, to, to see that, like, you know, that they, they do evolve, um, it just, yeah, I think takes them a little bit more time. And so, um, you know, I won't be surprised at all if Seltzer's on there sometime soon because, uh, enough people are making it. Um, I'm not going to be surprised for sure. If, you know, some I like Munich wine and, you know, some of these, uh, you know, like, uh, one of your 100% caramel beers, uh, or, yeah. um, other, I mean, other of these sort of things, you know, very, very decadent stout or something like that, because, you know, I think that, um, that Horace palette, um, and that style that you do is definitely something that, um, obviously people want, consumers want, like, um, and, you know, I think that, uh, it, you know, it ends up coming down to entries, you know, you kind of see, yeah. You see categories continue to, to diminish and then once they get small enough they become a subcategory and they get grouped in with another category um where man i can't remember right now uh what styles but like you know it'll be a category on its own and then all of a sudden it'll be into historical beer or something like that and so they yeah. kind of they that you know they change the guidelines every year and you know adding and subtracting and um, whatever else, but okay, I don't think, I mean, but I, but I do think that there, you, you, we will see, a, we will see evolution and we will constantly see evolution within those styles. That's cool. So we can expect to see your barrel aid seltzer in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool um, <laughs> you and American Solera are the only two I've heard doing it, but I, I mean, I was going to ask you before you even started talking about it. So that's awesome. I I mean, do the the seltzer thing is so nuts. I mean, like we just made a twenty two percent ABV <laughs> through fermentation. Just through just through fermentation, we made a twenty two percent ABV seltzer. Um, we're uh, so we just filtered that, um, and which goes through um, normal like DE filter pads, uh, but then like a metric shit ton of charcoal filter pads too um as part of yeah. the secret to to those things and we ended up with this yeah we ended up with this like super super um uh, neutral um base um we're gonna turn it into a lemoncello and awesome. serve serve just like boss pours uh like of lemoncello like large ice cube in an old, like in an old fashioned glass, like five ounces of this, like 
hopeful 20, 18 to 20% ABV, just lemoncello. And, That's awesome. it, you know, it's just like, um, I mean, another seltzer we just did is we just, we just released this, this sangria where, um, so we've been making wine and um, for the last, since 2020 was the first year that it, uh, that I started um, this little side project for us. And um, we made a, uh, a Merlot this year. And after the free run of the Merlot juice, we um, fermented a seltzer on top of all these skins, these Merlot skins. And so we got this beautiful, like, um, seltzer base that, um, kind of drinks like a Lambrusco or something like that. And, uh, well, a dry, dry Lambrusco, I'm thinking more of that, like fresh fruit sort of like character. Um, and then I had this, uh, Sangiovese from 2020 that I, um, I felt like was too oaky on its own to release. And so I blended in, um, some of that to help fill it out and give it some richness. Um, gave it some oh. cinnamon syrup and some blood oranges. And now we have this like, I don't know, seltzer wine hybrid thing of sangria that's now on tap. Very cool. I need to get down and try it or up, I should say. Yeah, um, all right. So last question. Um, feel like I'm asked it weekly is what how are you looking at festivals in the future? Are you planning on participating in as many as you did in the past? And do you think they're as important for craft breweries nowadays? Uh, it's a great question, man. Um, it, we, we have, so we have these same conversations internally and I'm not, um, like most things, I don't have the answers, <laughs> but yeah, you know, but like, um, I, you know, we've, um, we've brought down the amount of festivals that we've done, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's a brewery's actions that we don't agree with, um, or if it's, um, you know, just overload of cool things happening and we just can't tack on another one. It's, um, yeah, it's kind of like a you can only you can only do so much and um I I end up being a little bit uh for sure over the top on you know biting off more than I can chew. Um mm -hmm. in the beginning days of Green Cheek, I mean I was you know trying to build a brand, you know, I'm trying to I'm traveling as much as I can and you know really trying to to get out there um and our brand is, uh, you know, green cheek as much as possible. And so, um, we are slimming, you know, we, I think we've, you know, we've slimmed down on festivals, but, um, I think we're just in the spot now where we still are excited to do them and we still want to do them. Um, we, you know, it's just Brian and myself don't always get to go or don't always go Cause we just have too much going on and, you know, but then one of when someone from our staff uh, is able to go to this, you know, festival that's, you know, some of the, man, like Kyle, we get invited, you know, like we're in this, uh, you know, this insanely fortunate spot, you and I of like going to some, you know, going to the, the world's best festivals. And it's like, yep. um, 
yeah, I don't know. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty mind blowing to like, um, yeah, be involved in those types of things. For sure. And I think personally, like I need to cut back cause I went so hard for so many years, like on that festival circuit and, um, you know, some are finally coming back around for the first time in years. Like I have, I threw mine four years ago, even like I haven't thrown one since. So that might be something I revisit, but I'm looking forward to going to new ones and not necessarily tacking on a couple of months like I used to. Um, I think for both of us, our brand, you know, we, we're not going to sell beer in Japan or Europe, you know, a lot of the time. So it probably doesn't make sense to go to those festivals every year and take a week out of spending time with our families and, and go yeah. from there. But I, I do think COVID has changed festivals a lot um from the ones i've been to since we kind of got back into it and it's it's a whole new dynamic in itself so i mean like uh, uh you know you're you know you and i are in similar camps where we both have kids and yep. you know we're trying to juggle uh these these different things i mean like you have a like your situation is so interesting you have a full-time job um <laughs> like when you say full-time job, uh, like, does that, is that you going into the office Monday through Friday? And then on the side, you know, you're just like at the end of, at the end of every day, you're like, all right, honey. Um, yep. Going by the brewery. I'll, uh, I'll see you tomorrow morning for pancakes. And then, uh, yeah, it's back to work and, you know, back to the other job again. Like, what do you, like, how do you juggle all this? It was like that, um, up until February of 2020. Um, I walked away from Northrop Grumman. I was there for 14 years and um, basically our second kid was going to be born and I knew I couldn't do it anymore on that scale. So it is way more beer uh, focused now. And I don't think Horace could exist if it wasn't because still doing everything solo pretty much. And I'm at every bottle pickup and you know, that face-to-face -face time is important for my little niche because yeah. I basically have that little wine bottle club type business program still. So, um, yeah, man, it's, it's hard. I know, I know, you know, just like kids and in this industry alone, it, it, it's a hard juggle. So having the other career in there wasn't going to last long. Um, but it's yeah, great. Man, do I, you see yourself do you see yourself going like full time with Horus at one point or like what's your yeah. like, what's your plan on that? Yeah, I think like once my son is a little older opening a, a tap room somewhere and selling lager and IPA over the counter and actually making yeah. money. <laughs> Not relying on on beer that sits in barrels for upwards of four years and you know it's it's not an easy uh, business model to to thrive in, especially like in Southern California where things are just getting outrageously expensive. I feel like every year. So, um, oh my yeah, goodness. I want to. I do definitely want to at some point. I've been saying it for years, but I think I'm getting closer. Um, it's just going to be that lifestyle choice. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. That would be uh, that'd be a big day for sure. Yeah, and I think, like, both of our brands, you know, we're very bird-centric, and, you know, out of, <laughs> out, of, out of most breweries, I think, like, our aesthetics are probably most identifiable. I mean, you have a very particular art with Green Cheek, and I use 
an artist, Spring Whitaker out of New Jersey, who's, you know, very identifiable. So I think opening that tap room and like having that imagery already kind of set for these past eight years will, will be cool too. Totally. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah, thank you very much, Evan. That, that is everything I had. Um, it was awesome talking to you. I know I don't get to see you as much as I used to because we're busy, but. Um, That's how it goes, right? Man, yeah. growing up sucks. <laughs> it does. Like, and, uh, the moment, like, I mean, I, it's just funny, like, you know, you're, you're on top of the world and then you have kids and then it's like, whoa, <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know. Did, somebody should be should have warned me about this i like and i feel like we got i feel like i got warned but like man juggling as much as we do and then having kids too i think it just ends up being like a, a pretty like hectic crazy life absolutely it's uh someone should have warned you you're gonna have to hit a reset button because <laughs> it is a whole new world once that happens and for me i know you had two kind of same time and you know mine were four years apart and I'm sure it was hard having the twins but man that four-year gap and like just being four years older was like holy crap what did I do to myself oh man yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) like we yeah my wife and I you know like we did um we had both of the you know we had our twin boys and then every time that they were done with something we could just get rid of it it's like all right cool they're done with diapers wonderful <laughs> let's get rid of all that stuff and then it's like okay cool they're walking down it's like you know um we talked to friends that have that age gap and you man what is it with our minds we end up forgetting some <laughs> of the most difficult parts of like you know certain things um I was reading an article about this where it's just like, you know, uh, we end up looking back in, you know, at our memories uh, with more fondness uh, and nostalgia than, you know, than what actually say took place. And so, you know, you forget that it's as much work as it is. And then you're going through number two and you're just like, oh, my goodness, this kid is so much work. Uh, So anyway. Yeah, dude, great to be on the show. I I, I love the talking to you today, man. Thanks for having me. I um, yeah, um, it's been a crazy ride. Yeah, thank you, dude. I I look forward to getting to the Sunset Beach location and finally trying our double barrel stout. Oh, um, dude. Okay, so. <laughs> so by the way, I I I have it right here. You get bottle number one of a thousand. Um, oh, heck yeah. Yeah. See if you can see that number on there. You know, I got it right yeah. there. And um, the guy who does uh, our shipping is just out this week. So um, you'll be getting a package next week. Oh, amazing. I do need to come see you regardless, but I appreciate it, Senor. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, Listeners, Evan will be back on the next episode of this show as the host, and he will be having a conversation with a brewer of his choosing. That will be on the air in two weeks. So make sure you turn in. Wow. Make sure you tune in for that. (laughs) (laughs) Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media. And to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. I'm Kyle Harrop of Horace Age Dales. Thank you for listening to the Brewer to Brewer podcast. This episode was brought to you by First Tea. First Tea delivers the ingredients and experience brewers need for delicious beers 
and innovative flavors. Flexible order sizes and direct from farm teas for your next brew. Find out more about First Tea by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firstea.com.